Hey everyone, and welcome to the Americana Station podcast. I am your host, Will Payne Harrison. I am so excited about this episode today with Great Peacock. Um, they have been doing some great things out in the world. Congratulations to them. They just charted at number 29 on the Americana Music Association charts. They're one up above Lori McKenna. And uh, they're sandwiched between Lori McKenna and Zephaniah O'Hora. Um, and the chicks are beating them out only by three right now. So congratulations, guys. You're, you're kicking butt up on the AMA charts. And um, not only that, their live stream, which I believe happened the day before we did this podcast, was um, one of the most streamed uh, live streams of the week. So they're kicking butt, taking names. Congratulations, guys. Um, really excited for you to hear this interview today. Um, what else has been going on? Uh, today I spent the entire day um, tracking acoustic versions of my next record. Um, and uh, yeah, that's what I did with my day. You might be hearing a difference in the vocal mic because I spent a little money on a new vocal mic. No shout outs to the brand name because, uh, you know, maybe, maybe if they sent me some free stuff, but they didn't, I had to pay for it. So no shout outs on the vocal mics. If you want, you know, if you're listening out there and you have a mic company and uh, you want to endorse this podcast and have me say nice things, please feel free to send me any sort of podcast stuff. And I would gladly tell you, Tell the world about how great you are for sending me free stuff. Um, so I'm drinking my afternoon coffee, feeling really accomplished. Uh, let's see, we're I'm five tracks in right now out of nine currently. I'm still writing. I broke my writing streak. Um, I don't know how many of you guys out there uh, in podcast land are songwriters, but it has been incredibly hard for me to write during this pandemic. I realized that um, I get a lot of inspiration from watching the world around me. And uh, the only thing I've been watching is TV, which isn't very inspirational lately. So uh, I finally broke out of it. And uh, I wrote a song that uh, is is about this great night with some friends where we, uh, we had the cops called on us for, uh, singing too late and too loud and too drunkenly, um, way into the night. So I wrote a song about that. Um, it is Friday. Uh, it's the last Friday in September, which means next Friday, October 2nd, my new EP, the Stratford Sessions EP will be dropping on all social platform, streaming platforms. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't know what you guys are using out there. I use Spotify and Apple Music. I know there's Amazon and a bunch of other ones. I'm fairly sure that it's going to be on most of those platforms. So whatever you're listening to, um, sound off. Let me know. What what do you listen to? What are you guys listening to uh, music on? How are you discovering, discovering music? Are you listening to Bandcamp? I know that um, some articles came out lately, like in the LA Times and stuff, about how uh, Bandcamp is uh, really changing the game, especially October 2nd. They are not taking any cut. So if you go to Bandcamp, uh, willpainharrison.bandcamp.com on the day that it releases October 2nd, uh, whatever you pay will go to me minus the PayPal cost. So um, 
Yeah, we, I think it's 90% on those days that uh, the artists get, which is freaking phenomenal um, because most of the time we're, we're getting uh, cents on the dollar for sure. So don't just support me, support great Peacock, support uh, all these people. EG Vines has uh, a new single called Them Out. Uh, all these people that have been on the podcast, ones that haven't been, just support your friends, support the people you've been following that don't have a huge following. We need your help and support right now. Um, I want to give a shout out to Kyle Crownover. Uh, he goes by Crownover on uh, streaming platforms, and I believe his band on Twitter is at Crownover Band. Has a new video that just came out, and it's also his birthday. So go uh, go stream his video, go listen to his new single, and um, it's really good stuff. Check that out. Um, and uh, let's get into the great Peacock. Oh, before I do, I want to say I since I have my new EP coming out next Friday. I'm going to be premiering a track that has not been heard yet at the end of this episode after everything is said and done. So at the very end of this, uh, we'll be premiering um, Childish Things off the new EP. So stick around till the end if you'd like to hear a new song by me. And um, yeah, without further ado, let's get into Great Peacock. Leave it to Great Peacock, a band whose big, bold sound has been sharpened by years of relentless touring to create some of the most compelling rock and roll road music of the 21st century. Forever Worse Better, the band's third release, is an anthemic soundtrack for a life spent on the move, chasing down brighter horizons somewhere between the blur of truck stops and traffic lights, drawing from imagery that is painfully absent in the present moment in the wake of the global COVID-19 pandemic. Self-produced and funded by the bandmates themselves, this is Great Peacock's defining album, a record about the three-way intersection between drive, desperation, and determination, rooted in the epic sweep of Heartland Rock in harmonized melodies and amplified Americana in the hooks of guitar-driven pop music. We're proud to present to you today, Great Peacock. Hey, Will. Nice to meet you, Andrew. Uh, hey, Andrew. Nice to meet you. I think Blunt uh, oh, is going to is gonna pop in at some point. He is really bad with time. <laughs> like five minutes ago, I was like, you need to come do this interview. And he's like, okay, yeah. So we'll just start without him. Time is just a construct, you know. Right. It's a flat circle. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Andrew, what do you do in the band? I... I'm like the father figure. I'm just kidding. Exactly. Um, I, I'm the singer. I sing and write and play like guitar. And uh, yeah, that's it. I don't know. I mean, people would say I'm the front man, I guess. So what you're saying is the drummer isn't on time. That makes sense. Oh, no. Blunt sings too. And I actually just showed oh, up. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was giving a tour of the new house. <laughs> oh, yeah. I got a new house. Yeah, we moved right out of the beginning of quarantine out to the country. It's beautiful. So, uh, out of the country in Nashville? Yeah, I live in a little city called Ashland City. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, kind of northwest. Right. I lived in, you know, Nashville for around like 11 years. And 
we just made this jump. Unbeknownst to me. Now, as a band? you're <laughs> Before all, everything went down, but uh, it worked out pretty well. Awesome. So you guys were just on uh, Finally Fridays yesterday. Did y'all actually do that live or was that pre-recorded? It was li- it, Yeah, it was pre-recorded, but it was definitely like they were all actual live performances. There was no like editing or overdubbing. No overdubs. Like that. Like, yeah. You know, I yeah, actually yeah. did it and it was like there was bleed from every instrument and every other microphone, you know. So even though it wasn't live to the moment, it was, you know, it was a truly live performance. Was that at Third and Lindsley? No, they, they haven't started doing them there yet. I think they're about to, maybe. I'm not sure. Um, but, yeah, no, we actually – it's kind of the, you know, the way things are going right now, and I don't know if you're experiencing this with what you do or not, but it's, um, it's kind of become sort of uh, more um, like on the artists to actually like produce their own content right now for everything going on. Right. You can't totally. do it places, so – so we went to a studio in East Nashville, the same studio we cut our uh, organ and piano and like most keyboard related sounds at. And uh, it was a, just a beautiful, like kind of small, white, pretty space. And so we decided to go there and, and, um, and Paul I just, yes, Paul DeFiglio's place. Um, and it was a, it was, it was, it was a good convenient sort of thing to do, but we had to, you know, provide the video and the audio and all that stuff. That's awesome. And normally y'all are a three-piece band? Because I've seen some pictures with four of you and then some with three. We're normally a full band, but we don't have like a sort of permanent member as far as a drummer goes or any permanent sidemen as far as like pedal steel or keyboards or anything like that. It's just myself and Blunt who started the group and then Frank who came on and is basically uh, a permanent person now. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny you mentioned the picture. We wrestle with that like what do people take away from the image? It's only three guys. Cause we're definitely not, you know, a three piece string band or something like that. Like we're a, there's, oh, there's I, usually going to be a drum. I honest, yeah. I honestly just imagined like uh, drums, guitar and bass. Oh yeah. The, the rock trio. The yeah. rock so trio. Yeah. The pictures are misleading. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Straight lightning. Well, we're going to have to continue to focus group this and <laughs> focus group it. Yeah. Some stand-ins. Um, you're welcome to pretend to be the drummer in any pictures moving forward, by the I, way. I'd love to. Yeah. Or double bass. The actual drummer just walked in the room. <laughs> <laughs> you did, um, you did have some really cool, uh, people play on this record. Uh, I saw from your, um, bio you had Sadler Vaden um do some lead guitar on it and uh Adam Kurtz on pedal steel is that right we did yeah Sadler Sadler's a, a kind of an old buddy that goes back before he was even playing with his bull I had met him when he was in his band called Leslie uh they were based out of Charleston and then he went on to play with Driving and Crying then then Jason um so we Blunt and I, that song was like the last song to go on the album. It was a song we forgot we even wrote. And um, yeah, we recorded another song and it just kind of uh, wasn't vibing with the rest of the record. And uh, we were kind of talking about what we were going to do. So I was going through like old demos and this one popped out that we wrote before Andrew kind of started heading, like writing the new record. And um, I was like, this song is great. I don't know why we never like, thought about it again after we uh, wrote it. So I sent it to him and uh, we tweaked a few little things, cut some fat on it and uh, 
did that one. It's a special song just because it's, you know, completely just 100% us. Yeah. You know, we did everything on our own at my house. and Yeah, we didn't cut that in the studio with, like, our paid sort of, like, professional engineers and stuff like that. Um, that was the one thing. We did We did hire Sad before because okay. I knew, I was like, man, this song just needs that slide sound that he does. Yeah. Heavy load, right? Yeah. And uh, so and I hope you heard these yeah. singles. I didn't hear any pedal steel on it. Is there a lot of pedal steel or is it just on a couple of songs? There is actually a fairly large amount of pedal steel on the album, actually. It's just not super evident in the three that have come out thus far. Um, there's one song in particular that we were actually just practicing that song today. And Adam's here. He's actually outside drinking a beer. Um, he, uh, he was like, I really love that song. It's epic. And I don't say that about much. That's going to be the fourth track on the album. It's actually Forever Worse or Better. It's kind of the album title. Um, but that has a pretty massive sort of uh, back half, pedal, still solo, outro, everything. Um, I think you'll hear, you'll hear more and more. like, And definitely, like uh, I don't know if they sent over the full album to you when they sent you the pitch or anything like that. But I haven't gotten a hold of it yet. No, just the three singles. No, we got to get you the record, man. And, I'm and it is to it, yeah. technically on all I ever do. It's just kind of yeah. You know, we like textural. It's, it's treated. Oh, yeah. for sure. Textural pedal steel. We kind of always have. It's more Lenoir on that. Yeah. Yeah, and well, I mean, I think it goes well with the the vocals and everything too to kind of texture some of the stuff that y'all have out. And so you had heavy load, which is more acoustic, high wind, and then let you go. Let you go was more the rocking one, if I do remember correctly. Oh, that's from 2016. Sorry. <laughs> I, I <laughs> full disclosure, I forgot that we were doing this interview, and so I cramped 30 minutes before <laughs> we started to try to catch myself up on everything. And uh, we're on the same page. It's quite all right, man. We, I forgot too. <laughs> I think it, it makes it more spontaneous. It, it might be, it might come out better. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like you just, I went and I was like, wait a minute, there's pedal still on high wind. <laughs> <Shit>. <laughs> uh, so I, I uh, sent out a tweet and asked if anyone had any questions for you. And EG Vines says to ask Frank what his favorite recipe now that he's become a chef extraordinaire, and if it's tasty, make him share it. Wow. Um, Eric Vines. Um, he's really good at snarky comments on Twitter. There's a lot. Um, I, yeah, I just got a pasta roller and cutter, like a hand-cranked one, so I'm going to start making my own ramen noodles. I've actually got a dough resting back at my house in Atlanta right now that I'm going to cut when I get back. Um, so I'll report back. I don't know. I'm a big broth guy. I love, uh, I don't, I don't write a lot of recipes down. It just kind of, you know, I'm a, if, if I was in a restaurant, I'd be working the saute line. Like you just, <laughs> you add too much of something, you could just burn it off, reduce right. it. Broths, like stuff like that. Noodles, any, any, anything, you know, Eastern Asian. We, our whole pantry has a bunch of, you know, Korean, Vietnamese, Thai packaging with no English lettering on it. It would, you know, a dash of this, dash of that. But damn, I, EG's put me on the spot there, man. I know. Um, <laughs> you're, you cook by feel. Yeah. You oh, cook for by sure. heart and feel. And, you know, I, I... My grandpa would call it dead reckoning. Dead <laughs> Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I, and I would encourage other people to do that, too. I think people think they're bad cooks because they don't know how to do that. And if you just figure out what... You know, add stuff till it tastes. But right. yeah, it's usually salt. 
Um, yeah. Butter. Keep adding salt. <laughs> yeah. You can I'm, I'm not good of a cook. This is Andrew. I'm not as good of a cook as either of these guys. But uh, one little trick I learned over the years when I was in my complete bachelor days of always cooking for myself was uh, is, with spices is just like whatever you're thinking about putting in there, like Put smell more. it in one nose and then smell the food in the other nose. And then you can be like, if they don't smell good together, they're not going to taste good that's, together. That's not a bad uh, – yeah, smell is actually 70% of taste. Yeah. Uh, trivia for the day um, i'm from louisiana closure blunt is actually the best cook out of all of us i just advertise it more on social media <laughs> oh okay you're good you're good frank i didn't say i was bad i just had better, <laughs> I just had better knife skills yeah yeah <laughs> i got a box of potatoes every yeah two days. yeah blunt can bang out like yeah <laughs> mul- multiple cambros of onions way faster than me i'm sure <laughs> i'm from louisiana and so i have like the cajun idea of just yeah just throw everything in the pot and just add a bunch of spice to it. It'll taste Hold good. On, you know? Yeah. Well, Tony Sachery's, you know. Oh, okay. Yes. Yes, that's correct. Zatarain's in Florida. <laughs> Zatarain's is all right. All right. <laughs> More Florida. They, they took it away. They yeah. took it away. Had <laughs> the big Zatarain's, man. So you you guys recorded. Uh, this year or is how long have you been sitting on this album i know it's coming out october 9th which is pretty soon when was it was it august last year we started doing drums yeah uh so august 2019 we started tracking uh, and you, you just kind of did the basic tracks in the studio right. and then took it home for the rest exactly yeah yeah we were still you know touring a lot <clears throat> at the beginning of recording the record so we kind of uh did that first meat and potatoes and kind of sat on it for a while and just kind of let our minds start to wonder about where we wanted it to be. And uh, I guess we kind of started working on more guitars closer to in like November. Yeah, there was the, the, the skeleton, the meat potatoes of the album was very quick in a, at a studio in Nashville. And then, the rest of the album, like all the vocals and layering and stuff like that, was was a lot of months of of, of work. There was a lot of there was a lot of not liking stuff we had done, going back and retracking it, and just um, this was an album where like not, nothing was going to be like okay, that's good enough. It, it was an album of everything was like had to be um, perfect or exactly what was in the head yeah. going into it. But I don't know if we quite got there on everything, but it's the one album I've ever worked on that got the closest to that. Yeah, totally. Did you mix it yourself or did you, you um, send that out to someone else? No, we had this great guy named Sean Moffat uh, mix it. And then he kind of had to step away from it halfway in for personal reasons. And his assistant, Warren David stepped in and, and finished the album. And so we kind of have two, two mixing engineers on the album. Um, but uh, they're, they're both like fantastic. I mean, Sean like mixes like stuff on the like top 40 charts and like of like Christian uh, country and pop. And uh, he's, he's quite the, uh, quite the mixing engineer. And he tends to mix music that is much more modern. And that's kind of why I wanted him. We'd had him on our first album. That's kind of why we wanted him on the third one too, is because so much of this album was sort of uh, had a sort of like, sort of, uh, textural sort of old yeah. school atmospheric vibe of like like not retro but it is definitely like like it was very much um sort of like 
like amp, real amplifiers and, and organic things. Yeah. And I think like we didn't want that to go too much in that direction. So it's like you make this sort of like old school rock and roll album, but then you have like somebody like mix it coming from a completely different perspective so that you're not too much of one way in one direction. You know what I mean? That's like a lot of, especially nowadays, a lot of people that are trying to do like, you know, throwback sounds and stuff like that. It's like, I feel like they go too far into it and too far, like, like where it doesn't sound realistic where it's like, dude, you know, it's not 1956 or something like that. Like this, it is yeah. 2020. And like, we know that how hard you had to work to try to make that sound old. <laughs> and it, I don't know for me personally, I'm not a big fan of those kinds of sounding albums. Well, what I love about what I've heard so far is it is it is kind of reminiscent of like uh, Tom Petty and then uh, like Rolling Stone said about you guys, a festival ready Southern rock with whiskey town persuasion. I definitely heard a little bit of Ryan Adams in there. And it, it's it's got that like kind of classic. Um, yeah, like the, you know, Bruce Springsteen, Tom Petty kind of. Uh, heartland rock kind of thing to it that's really awesome and and it's yeah it's got a lot of like you said just the soundscapes of it are, are beautiful so far what i've heard i'm really digging it i'm looking forward to hearing the rest of it for sure um so Thank before you. oh yeah no problem I, i'm really looking forward to hearing the rest of it. are y'all going to be putting it out on vinyl yep oh yeah great yeah that's our uh, our website store is up now so that's all People can start pre-ordering that if they feel so inclined, which I recommend. And, and that's normal black vinyl or a really cool orange vinyl. That's Let great. Peacock.com? Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Definitely get the vinyl, guys. Um, so before everything crashed and burned and you st- had to stop touring, um, you guys spent the last year touring with people like uh, Winona Judd and the Revivalists. Yep. Um, yeah. What, how, especially after just, you know, like the description I gave, obviously these, some of these bands, infamous string dusters and yonder mountain string band, how, how did that? <laughs> we didn't tour with anybody that sounds like us. Yeah. <laughs> I love, I love when you list like the big artists we played with last year. It's just so like across the board. So strange. Yeah, it's like our agent was trolling so us. So strange. <laughs> how did the great. audiences like respond to you know you not being a string band or yeah yeah surprisingly so i I think that mix actually ended up working it works better actually it's like no one wants to go see the opening act it sounds just like the headliner um and the string band thing was actually like those are both pretty like high energetic string bands so it worked with them it wouldn't have worked with the traditional bluegrass band but it worked with them um yeah. And yeah, yeah. I, I think I think the fact that there was variety and that people got to hear something that kind of got them like, you know, more revved up for the opener. There's like a myth that like you don't want like a loud like rock band opening for you. Yeah. So like if you play your cards right and you have the right rock band open for you, like you'll actually get the crowd more like energetic. Because they're only gonna yeah. play you know, we're playing thirty minutes, forty five minutes most. Like so it's not like they're gonna steal the show from you. Yeah. And that band is great peacock, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and then when we have people coming on the road for us and open us, you know, when, when one day we make more money and all that stuff and we're bigger. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to be held to this when I say, well, I just want an acoustic opener. People will be like, remember what you said on that podcast that one time? Yeah, we talked about, <laughs> yeah, we want to do right by openers. Cause you know, you see so many, just, you know, a dude with a loop pedal cause it's low, low footprint on the stage and you only have to pay him 200 bucks a night. 
uh, it's easy to do, fall into that trap. But. Yeah, last year was fun. We didn't have to slum it quite as much as no. we have in the past. Uh. You know, doing a lot of like headline shows in weird cities where you know draw is always a you know fun thing to try to figure out. Um, I don't know. It was, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, the the, the yeah. shows we had last year were a lot of fun. Um, for sure. Have a, the most memorable show from any of those tours. Uh, everyone has one, you know, the one where there's like the hobo outside that, you know. <laughs> they something. were all different. We had our first like amphitheater show, which I would not say was fun musically, but it was fun in other ways. Like we played with the with the revivalist and Anderson East at the amphitheater here in Nashville. And um, well, we've had like some smaller amphitheater shows, like smaller town amphitheaters, but never like a big normal city amphitheater. And that was a learning experience that we weren't, prepared for that yeah, yeah we we didn't we didn't have a high enough production like like value going into that that we you know and and we weren't prepared for the way it sounded and all that stuff but overall it was still a killer experience and one that i'm glad we, we had and that we learned from yeah now we know we know now if we ever play another amphitheater show we know yeah we, we were <laughs> so definitely learned some things we were learning on the fly that day for sure was that like during the day or was it in the evening like was it dark already or oh well it was august in nashville so oh, going God. On like 7 p.m no it wasn't dark yet it was I, like it was like sun was setting as we were finishing yeah um, I did a couple of uh, date, well, a few dates with um, Matt Butcher and the Schoolyard Band playing bass for them, op- opening for the Avett Brothers, and we did an amphitheater down in uh, t- in Florida. And uh, the first song, the first note of the first song, uh, my whole pedal board came unplugged, and I couldn't figure out where <laughs> it unplugged. So, like the whole first half of the first song, the first night of this tour <laughs> you can't even hear the bass i was so embarrassed and i felt the same way just so unprepared it's such a yeah. huge crowd it's like you gotta roll with it it's you know? like you think you know you've right. played enough updates and then it's like all right it's just a bigger stage like it's all the yeah. same i yeah. tripped on stage at the first revival show at the pageant oh in st louis that's yeah. right that was epic <laughs> that was fun. i somehow pulled it off that's on film somewhere on, twi- <laughs> on twitter some, some, somebody tweeted that some civilian uh, yeah. oh, man. Two days later, y'all played it in the van and went on a loop, and it made me pretty angry. <laughs> For sure, that was actually my favorite show of the whole year. Was that was St. Louis uh, at the pageant in St. Louis, opening up for the revivalists. That was the best. That crowd was like, like, like ate us up. You know, their crowd. I was worried about playing with dates with them because they're they're a little bit popular than we are. But um, yeah, they their crowds really really liked our music. I was it was it was cool. I think it was they. We're just basically a rock band with some catchy songs, and they love that. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, more Twitter questions. Uh, this one's for Andrew. Rachel wants to know why you like the Grateful Dead so much. Because they're fucking awesome. <laughs> because there's no other band that sounds like them. There's, like You could be like, oh, well, there's so many gyms. And bands all sound alike and it's just noodling it's like no they don't like, no i know i you agree think that you don't have a discerning air and and like i don't know it's just they're just an amazing band there's something like the more and more i'm into them the more and more i'm like you really do realize that while the whole band is this awesome collective that there was just really really something special about jerry garcia yep 
I think it's really that, what I think boils down to the most. It's just yeah. like, no one played guitar like him. It's like so many nuances and the way he sang and the way the band was like serious and fun at the same time. And like, they could, I don't know, man. It was just, they're, there's just, you could go on, talk about them for days and I'm not going to. Um, <laughs> but they're, there's just no band like them. And they're just so unique. And maybe that's why they're so divisive because they're so unique. Like you either like them or you don't like them. I think, I when think you, she would like a lot of songs of theirs if she would like get past the hang up, whoever this Rachel is. <laughs> like, if she would get past this unknown it, Rachel, she would maybe understand. Like you know, I just think maybe she hasn't heard the right Grateful Dead songs. They're also a band that a lot of people don't like for the same reasons that like a lot of people don't like Fish, and a lot of people don't like a band like say Leonard Skinner. A lot of people don't like Leonard Skinner because they think of their fans, which are largely you know rednecks. Um, but they, it, I take offense to that. Yeah, we're we're all Leonard Skinner fans, but like they get clumped in with this sort of like now like sort of idea of like a pseudo biker kind of conservative, I don't know guy, but like that's not what that band was, and a lot of people don't listen to them just because of what they think their fans are. The same way with fish fans, like you know they're so adamant, and people will have an idea in their head of what a fish fan is. So a lot of people would never give fish the time of day. Your band, you have to like put forth effort to get into, yeah. Too, because I mean their output is so broad, and you know, yeah, it's just all over the place. But Skinner, man, I mean, if most people actually just like sat down and listened to Skinner beyond like the three songs that they've heard on the radio, like yeah. they'd be like, oh wow, this is a really great band, yeah. and like there's they weren't like their songs aren't like they go in a direction lyrically that doesn't match a lot of their fans. Yep. Yeah. Um, what I was going to say about uh, the dead is I think that the, the discipline of Jerry Garcia having that bluegrass background too lends itself to uh, a lot more creative songwriting, but also just like talent too, that maybe, and maybe I shouldn't say uh, use fish as an example, but uh, that some jam bands don't have because um, there's, it takes so much talent to be a good bluegrass player and then you you switch that into like this like sort of whatever they are like folk rock jam thing that like it, it yeah like to me you you can't look at the Grateful Dead on the same in the same way that you look at other jam bands because there's no real comparison. But yeah, I think yeah he had that extreme level of dedication and talent. But then it's like when you listen to the Grateful Dead, it's like it's like that's just happening naturally. Like he's not trying, yeah. And like he can just focus on like the soul he was putting in the music. Like he's he was very, very soulful. A lot of people like that aren't like big fans of the band don't like haven't like listened to and like been able to tell like oh it's like it's the soul in his voice and the sort of like soul in his fingertips and not the like that he's, he's not hitting a million notes because he's trying. He's just hitting a million notes because he's just that good. And it's, I hear and feel the soul when he's playing more than I hear some sort of like technical prowess, even though the technical prowess is there. So is that where you kind of got your, your musical background was with the dead or did that come later? Like what was some of your formative music? Uh, that I don't know. I mean, I didn't like, I always had kind of like the grateful dead if I heard a song of theirs, but it was not something I was into until I turned about like 30, you know, I was, yeah. I was always like kind of dug it, but it was never something. And then that's the thing with that band is once you 
get into them and start liking them. They're the only band I've really listened. Well, there's a few bands actually like that, but more so than the other band, they're like the one band that like the more you listen to them, the more you find yourself liking them. And it just keeps snowballing and snowballing and snowballing. Um, I, Skinner was actually what got me into rock and roll. Like actually was Skinner, um, which led to the Almond Brothers, which led to all kinds of stuff. And then I'd say in like college age, Bro, actually, I was 18 years old when I heard Brian Adams for the first time, and that started a whole new thing and an appreciation for folk music, which led me to like Dylan and 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 also country. Like it led me to get into George Jones, and so that kind of changed everything that I was doing and pushed me more in that direction at that time. Um, Blunt, you you grew up in country, right? Yeah, I grew up straight radio country. Uh, you know, growing up. 90s or 90s. Okay. I, I, I grew up in, you know, late 80s through the 90s. It was kind of my formative years of growing up. And, yeah, I uh, definitely was born on Brooks and Dunn. And, Hell yeah. Uh, Tracy Lawrence and, you know, all the heavy hitters from the 90s. Hillbilly Deluxe. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of where I started and, you know, went off from there. What about you, Frank? Man, I was all over the place. Um, you know, middle school, high school, just whatever was was popular. I'm, I'm a little younger than these guys. I was in high school, um, the, the late aughts. Um, gosh, I was, you know, big Rage Against the Machine fan in middle school. But I think a band, oddly enough, that kind of turned my attention to bands, um, my morning jacket because mm-hmm. i got into them when it still moves came out and i was like oh this is different this is cool what is this I, you know I, I didn't know anything about production or guitar tone or anything like that then but something about that caught my ear and um, their bass player played bass on our second album yeah what a weird <laughs> coincidence this is not this is not a, a yeah this is not wow. an ad um <laughs> Uh, yeah, them, them and Kings of Leon, strangely enough. I got into that arena sound for a while. And uh, you look backward. When you when you first, when the first Kings of Leon song you hear is Sex on Fire, Use Somebody, okay, whatever. But then you kind of work backwards to that early stuff. And suddenly that turned into me discovering like Wilco and Sunfold. <laughs> That's not a connection Uncle I would have expected. Uh, I know. <laughs> crazy but then it's and i remember the first band i was in we had to cover uh this song that i'd never heard before it was called to be young is to be sad is to be high yeah uh by a certain someone that's been named multiple times in this podcast already for better or worse um (laughs) yeah and i got deep into that i mean i have a cold roses tattoo on my left arm now um and so that ryan ryan was always always it for me Oh, I thought it was a Dave Rawlings song. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> it is. No, I know, I know. But that was the big, uh, he was the one for me, essentially. I remember when Kings uh, Leon came out, like I was working at a record store, and I didn't like them at first, because they sounded like a really like bad redneck version of The Strokes. To that, me. That, was what they were, <laughs> that was what they were supposed to be. That was like the marketing pitch back yeah, in. I remember I was at Auburn. We were on Magnolia Street. My brother was like, you got to listen to this band. They sound like their father was a, you know, tent preacher. And I was like, this is awesome. 
That's so, so funny. Cause Shout I, lo- I love them now, but I love them. <laughs> I love them now, but when I remember when they first came out, I was like, this is awful. I mean, <laughs> all, all of their records since Only by the Night have just been a victory lap for a decade now. I, uh, I honestly, I think I was snooty around that time period. So anything coming out that was on the radio, I'd, I'd turn my nose up to it. Oh, I get that. I totally. We that. all went yeah, through that. Yeah, we all had that period yeah. for sure. <laughs> so is the songwriting process for you guys collaborative um or um andrew do you like bring it to the table and then kind of mishmash with the music after you've kind of written the song it's been different every album it's kind of a hard question to answer it's yeah different every album there's been albums that we've like done so much more together and albums that we've done less together um so i mean this current one was maybe a little more personal from my side of the story. Um, but as far as like, you know, aside from writing and all that, like musically, it's, it's definitely a, a huge, like, I mean, a song is a song. It's like, I don't really even think of them as being written. Like it's more of like a discovery. Like you get lucky and you just happen to find the right BPM and the right chord arrangement and the right lyrics and the right melody and they just like all come together. It's just the right time, right place kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as like the nuances and the little things and the things that like make, you know, it become it, uh, those are always done with the full band, like together, all of us. And we rarely disagree. I think it's cause we all, we're so song oriented in, in this particular project, this group, like we know not to fuck with it. Like yep. we can hear the song, like the song's there. And it's really more about like, maybe, you know, like adding a little more butter, a little more icing in one section or something. It's not about changing the recipe. The recipe is pretty much there. Yeah, this record was a little different because we normally would, you know, play these songs on the road for a year to two years and then go and record them. But a lot of the, I mean, pretty much this entire record were all, you know, we went to the studio and it was the first time that we had played them out except for like One two or two, or, two yeah. or three of the songs. Um, so that was a fun process. Different. Yeah. You know? That was, I, I actually like that. It's weird. Cause it's like, sometimes it's great to feel a song get worked out on the road, but I like that you're not married to any parts. Yeah, right. Great. And the one song that we were consistently playing for a year was the, ended up being the hardest song to get on record because it was so hard to hear like what it should be as a recording because we were only used to it as a live performance. We weren't used to thinking of it as a recording, and there was that it was a big disconnect in my head. Um, yeah, that was weird. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How do you? How do you? Uh, deconstruct it so that you can change it when it's already set in stone. Yeah. That's gotta be hard. Yeah. Well, this song, you know, we wanted it to rock really, really hard, but in all actuality, when we took stuff away and kind of made it a little sparser in parts, it actually shaped the song the way it is on the record. And yeah, the song is called Strange Position. It's, gonna, it's track four on the album. And it's just, uh, I, I would still, like, I could still be working on that months later. <laughs> like, I would, it's, you know how they say, like, a lot of people, like, you never finish an album, you just kind of give up on it. Right. That's the one song, like, that I 
definitely just was like, okay. Everything else was like, okay, I got to get it perfect. It has to be exactly like we are. And there are elements of even that song that we got perfect. The bass was really hard to get perfect on that song. It was yep. just yep. so hard to find the right tone. And that, that instrument in particular, for some reason, when you play live, like unless you have a dog shit sounding rig, like when you play live, a bass player can kind of just like plug in and go and, and anything sounds great. But yeah. for some reason on recording, man, it is the hardest instrument to get the sort of like – the shape of like the tone of the EQ and the yes. amount of gain structure and like how, how much the gain should be. And it's so song specific too, more than any of the other instruments that, and that, but that song we did get to re-record the bass and did get it perfect, but I still could be fucking around with those guitars, man. I still could be taking shit and adding shit and yep. taking shit away and going over. And I mean, I would be happy to do that, except it would just frustrate me and frustrate me. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, I I kind of gave up on electric for a long time and just stuck to acoustic because it can be so difficult to, uh, yeah, there's so many tones that you can get out of it that it, it almost seems endless. And, uh, you know, you, you, pretty, you can get pretty set on acoustic and be like, this is the way it sounds. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And even electric guitars are so different live too on the recording. They're kind of like the bass in that sense that like, I can kind of plug a guitar and, a, and a, a good guitar and a good amp and just turn it up to a certain level where you get a little bit of grit and it's yeah. just like, you're not doing anything. But I've noticed, man, when you're recording, it's like every pickup choice matters, like string size matters, yeah. like tone knob on your guitar, if you're going to use it matters, like what amp it is, like how much, how much overdrive and distortion you want to use. And it's so funny. Cause like when you're playing live, you can add a lot more overdrive and distortion to what you're doing and it works. But like, when you do that on like a normal recording, you're like, wow, what I normally play with sounds like heavy metal now in the recording process. I really yeah. need to turn the gain down on this. Yeah. We did a lot of this record on a really, really small amp called a uh, Fender Champ. Um, yeah. Eight, eight inch speaker. Yeah. Well, this is actually the Fender Champion 600. 600. It's the which really is, cheap one. It's a, yes, it's a super cheap Chinese made amp. Um, oh, okay. Fender Champs are, are eight inch speakers, and this one is actually six yeah. and a oh, half. It's six. <laughs> it's six and a half. Um, but it's, it's a modern amp? Yeah, it's like a modern oh, reissue yeah. of the Champ, but it's its own thing called the Champion. It's basically the same amp. Um, but yeah, that thing is just like, it's a beast when you want it to be. It's just, you know, mm -hmm. it's, you. Small speaker, big microphone, big yeah. guitar sound. Yeah, that's that's the trick. That's honestly that a lot of people don't realize. Uh, I have a vibro champ, and uh, oh man, jealous. Yes, yeah, from '64, and the guy that I oh, got it from. Yes, yeah, oh blackface. Yeah. You want to sell it? <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, hit me up in in another month whenever uh, I'm I'm really broke. I still am jobless, but uh, uh, the guy that sold me the amp he, it normally has an eight inch but he was able to fit a 10 inch in it so it sounds like a uh princeton almost nice my cousin did the same thing he put a 10 inch in but he also put uh a princeton output transformer in it oh so it was a weird but it was but the rest of the circuit was still a champ so it was like a weird hybrid of, of a champ and a princeton that was really cool and and he it sold it really like really the Clifton oh, yeah. Worley show. He yeah. also has a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew's cousin is like a, he's at NAM every year. He's a guitar nerd. Like High Water, whatever, <laughs> Hellfire. He's a NAM guy. Anyway. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Anybody that's not into guitars right now is like, what the fuck? 
Like, talk about music. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. They're like, I don't know what that is. No. Yeah. We actually, okay, yeah, that's the last guitar thing we'll talk about. <laughs> what I do both Princeton's now. We, we were on Deluxe Reverbs and we, we backed off and went Princeton's. Deluxe Reverbs are so loud. I had one. And for me personally, uh, I've never had to crank up past like a three. So it, it just, yeah, it's too much for me. And even like on big stages, the bigger stages we played, it was like, I felt like it was too loud. Yep. I also like the 10 inch speaker, like the guitar is such a mid range bass instrument to begin yes. with. And I just feel like that the 10 inch speaker is just like perfect for live. I'm going down this guitar <laughs> rabbit hole. We have to stop. God no, 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 please. Deluxe Most... sounds like an R&B. To me, a deluxe reverb is a great R&B sort of like that kind of amplifier. Yeah, because it doesn't break up And it's more of a rock and roll amp. Yeah. Or country, if you're doing like straight up country. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I, I don't. A lot of the people I talk to on here are singer songwriters, so they're not really into gear as much. So it's always fun to talk gear. What kind of pedals do y'all play? We got a bunch that like we don't even use. Um, I'm, I'll be quick. I go into uh, a Catlin bred, uh, sort of like a Tweed Deluxe style pedal, sort of like a Neil Young sound into a. Greer Lightspeed Gramps in Athens, fantastic mm-hmm. dude, Nick Greer. Um, and then I go into like a, a treble booster kind of fuzz pedal, going into my Korg STD 3000 delay pedal, into the Walrus Slow, and then into my tuner. Or no, my tuner comes first. That's right. It's just on the other <laughs> side. Yeah. Yeah. So how, how are those cables right? I got a vibe pedal and a bunch of other pedals too that I just like, I don't honestly have real estate and don't feel like bringing a second pedal board for on the road. Yeah. Yeah, my new pedal that I'm really into is uh Andrew mentioned that Korg STD three thousand. I have the preamp circuit in a that's like the front end of my rig now. And there's something like magical about them, you know, like yeah Langwa and the Edge are like, you know, hugely into this preamp circuit. And it does this thing where it's just like it's not a compressor and it's not an over overdrive but it compresses in it overdrive <laughs> exactly <laughs> and you can get a killer guitar tone just by like i have the full-on like pedal version that's like delay and everything blunt just has the preamp version um and i like turn the preamp right you can turn the print the, the thing with this delay pedal is or delay rack is what it really originally was the delay rack was like the preamp is always on on this device whatever signal is coming into it and going out the preamp is always on no matter what. So it's always coloring your tone, but just turning the input on that is like, it's weird. It is a weird version this of like, like compressing and like squishing. Yeah, it's, it's pretty it's, badass. It's great. Yeah, and I've always been like a big... They're hella expensive though. <laughs> is that like always on on your board or you just turn it yeah. on? Well, my, I had the delay with the, the thing was really admitted for delay. So the delay, I pretty much do always play with delay, but even when it's off, the preamp is still affecting it. Like, like it's in the signal path and it's still the preamp's always on whether you're using delay or not. And are y'all like humbucker, humbucker guys or more single coil? Uh, it depends on the song. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I like them both. I like single coils. I'm uh, slowly going back into the humbucker world. I, I just want like humbucker guitars again. I'm a big fan of mini humbuckers and particularly I love the, the Firebird, which isn't the same thing as a mini humbucker, but it's close. I like those sort of like tighter sounds they have where they like, they sound like sort of in between a, a Telecaster um, single coil and a sort of like 
in a Les Paul um, humbucker sound. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I, I love P90s, but they're just too too loud and too much uh, too much um, resonance and feedback and stuff for me to like even like risk playing with one live. <laughs> I, you know, maybe if I had some like active, quiet, like you know, noiseless ones. But then it's like, what's the point of having a P90? You know? Yeah, yeah. I play jazz ma- a jazz master mostly. Okay. Um, I love those jazz master pickups, which are kind of like P90s, just a little fatter a little i like to call them jazz master p90s just to piss off the fender <laughs> jazz master guys <laughs> there is a difference chris even then i look like him chris stapleton all stapleton <laughs> yeah i had a jazz master for about a year and it yeah it's it's a weird thing it's not for some people and other people it doesn't it, it kind of like it's separate like it has a clean in the middle with the overdrive gets around i don't know if that makes sense to y'all but it's it does something different than other pickups do for me yeah it's articulate there you go yeah it's articulate hard you know it it hits a little harder than like a strat you know yes for sure i also love strats i yeah i sold my favorite strat like a dumbass and i regret it every day that out of phase yeah position i love it Play that on a track called "Old Man" on the record. What what track is that? "Old Man" is track number Uh, seven. No, eight. 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 Okay. Track eight. eight. Yeah. Awesome. Um, So, what do y'all? What are your plans moving forward with all this pandemic stuff? Um, Do you have any plans to eventually tour again, like maybe in twenty twenty one or? Yeah, we just got to feel it out. I mean, we're going to, you know, put the record out, obviously, keep keep pushing on the promo side of things. Hopefully some people buy it. Hopefully some people like it. We're certainly proud of it. Yeah, it's um, a new world. We're just, you know, outside of the box. We're, we're going to drive anything. Yeah. And we're, and we're currently, like, recording and working on, like, some live, professional, like, live stream stuff or maybe pre-recorded stream stuff, you know, that will be coming out later for people to kind of – be able to, and some of it being ticketed and like a real show, like, you know, you can actually maybe get together with your friends on a Friday night if you're into our band and like, you know, buy a ticket and watch it. And it's like high quality production value. So we're just making the best of it like anybody is, you know? Yep. We're just not counting on touring as a stream of income right now. And we're just, we're just, you know. Or having income as yeah. a stream of income. <laughs> yeah, having income as a stream of income. <laughs> so we're just making the best, man. We're just doing what we can. Y'all did crack the top 50 on the AMA charts, right? I don't know oh, if, if we're on the top 50. We're getting close. We did on the last record. Um, yeah. It might, it looks like it's going to happen. It's still I'm early. I will say we've been, yeah, we've been on there. I know the single's like, I think like 55 or something right now. At least last week it was. And the album's up to like 70 something. And uh, and yeah, it's, it's moving in the right direction. And we still have, um, you know, more than half a month to go before the album comes out. It's been good. The album's, it's, it's been getting... The amount of attention that is realistic, but better than I thought. So, hey, and it's much deserved. It, what I've heard so far sounds awesome. I'm looking forward to hearing the rest of it for sure. Cool, cool, man. Well, thanks so much. Thanks so much for having us on this podcast today. Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, that's it for this episode of the Maricana Station podcast. Thanks so much to 
Andrew Blunt and Frank for stopping by and uh, spending some time with me on the podcast. Congratulations again on being number 29 on the AMA charts this week. Um, best of luck to you. Can't wait to hear the new album. Um, we got some more great people coming up. I'm really excited to tell you about and announce soon. Make sure you follow and subscribe and leave comments and rate and review on uh, whatever podcast platform that you're on. And you can follow me on all my social media platforms. I'm at Will Payne Harrison on uh, Instagram, at Will P. Harrison on Twitter. Uh, and without further ado, this is a new single from my upcoming EP that's coming out on 10-2. It's called Childish Things. Tried to be a man 
When you're a kid, you want to grow fast as you can. I find these days I wish my youth would come back to me. From this side, the grass looks a little more green. I miss the nights when my mama would sing. Sunshine to me. She rocked back and forth in the chair her daddy made as I slowly drifted to sleep. 